Let me begin by giving a shout out to those of you who are gathering in our San Jose campus. I'm super excited about how that campus is growing. For those of you who are with us for the first time in San Jose, welcome. And a huge shout out to the rest of you who are watching on social media platforms across the country and across the world. Some of you may be watching on a day that's not even Sunday, but this is God's appointed time for you whenever and wherever you're watching from. Now, today we're going to be dealing with life and death issues as we think about the resurrection of Jesus. But first, I have a real quick announcement that I want to make. As we move into the fall, there's 125 churches here in the local Bay Area who are working together across neighborhood, denomination, and race uh, to initiate what we call an Explore God campaign. Here's simply what we're trying to do. We're hoping to involve the folk in our pews and our family members and friends in creating thousands of safe spaces for dialogues about questions that are at the very core of who we are, spiritual questions. Check out this video. I think it's important to explore God because, sorry, it's a big question. Well, because I think we have so much in between us and the knowing of God. And I think a lot of that confusion leads to a lot of the pain and suffering in the world. If I could ask God one question, it would be, why are we here? What's the meaning of life? What do you want? Why do you care so much about me? What were you thinking when you made life? If we were created in his own image, why are there so many different kinds of people? Why can't everybody be happy? If somebody had the answer to that, I'd like to hear it. question I have like a million questions <laughs> what are we doing here you know like give me some guidance please sharing that with other people so they know what true love is 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 the only thing that matters wow social scientists tell us that there are seven questions that most of us at some point in our life find ourselves wrestling with, even for those of us who've been in the church forever, we're still finding that we're wrestling with some of these questions. These are the questions that I'm going to spend six weeks uh, later in the fall teaching, and hopefully you and family members and friends of yours will be engaged in dialogue and discussion about over the course of that time, both here in the local Bay Area, but also wherever you're watching us from, vis-a-vis uh, -vis our online campus. Check out these questions. Here's the first question. Does life have a purpose? Is there a God? Why does God allow pain and suffering? Is Christianity too narrow? Is Jesus really God? Is the Bible reliable? Can I know God personally? So I'm going to be teaching on this. We hope to get all of you involved in small group discussions Keep listening out over the days and weeks to come. We're going to roll out more information. I believe this is going to be an incredible transformational time. I am praying and believing that there will be many who feel that they are currently far from God who will discover in the midst of this effort that the love of God actually envelops and surrounds them. All right? Amen, amen. Somebody shout amen. All right, that's a church word that says I agree. <laughs> All right, let's turn our attention to our series. 
Back to basics. We're looking at some of the fundamental truths of what it means to be a Jesus follower and why and how do those truths matter in our lives. The Apostle Creed has created the pathway for our teaching over the course of the last several weeks. We're really in the last three weeks of teaching for this series. So make sure you stay with us as we finish this series out. And there's a section of the Apostle Creed, which you can find the whole thing on our website. But today I want to zoom in on the, on the section of the Apostle Creed. Here's where it starts. It essentially affirms that I believe in Jesus, and it goes from there, that Jesus was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into the dead. The third day, he rose again. I believe in the forgiveness of sin, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. What we want to do today in this teaching, we want to draw a straight line between our belief that Jesus rose from the dead and our belief in the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. As a matter of fact, this weekend and two weeks from now, I'm going to talk about two unimpeachable, indestructible, astonishing, incredible hopes uh, that uh, Jesus followers possess. The first we deal with now, simply called the hope of resurrection. So let us return to the night before Jesus's crucifixion, which we talked about Last weekend in chapter 13 of the Gospel of John, tonight, today we go to the Gospel of John chapter 14. Jesus is still there the evening before his crucifixion. And for the very first time, his disciples are coming face to face with the reality of death. And it is excruciating and challenging. And here's what Jesus says to them. Do not let your heart be troubled. You have put your trust in God. Put your trust in me also, Jesus says. There are many rooms in my father's house If it were not so, I would have told you. You see, I'm going away to make a place for you. After I go and make a place for you, I'll come back and take you with me. Then you may be where I am. There is the reading. Goodness. So this text begins to frame our thinking about what it looks like to wrestle with life and death. Jesus began by saying, in my father's house are many dwelling places, many rooms are, as this past, uh, another version puts it, where my father lives in the fullness, there's room for you. There's room for me. He goes on to say that I want to create an assurance that, that ultimately where my father is, you will ultimately get there. So I'm going away to prepare a place for you, and in so saying that he's talking about the death on the cross that will take place the very next day. We talked about the work of atonement last weekend and how that applies to our lives today. And then he died on the cross. On the third day, he rose from the dead. And today he lives. And it's in that work it becomes true that he goes away and prepares a place for us. Then he says, and I always relate this to the day the very moment that the Christian, the believer, closes his or her eyes in the midst of death. This is the truth that we we hold on to. This is the promise that he offers. I will come back and take you with me. Then you may be where I am. The resurrection of Jesus. He rose from the dead ties to the resurrection for you and for me. In that moment, he says, I'll come take you to be with me. 
Can somebody say, wow? Hey, here's the first insight I want to share. Genesis says that in the beginning, there was God. And everything comes as a result of that. And if you've been tracking as a series, you know that God exists in a triune reality. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Some people talk about it this way. The creator, the redeemer, and the sustainer in community together. Here's the point. To believe in God is to believe in life before life. That is to say that, 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 that life in God existed before everything and therefore life, your life, my life is not random. It is not a byproduct of chance. It has built into it eternal purpose. My son is now 33 years old. And I remember when he was eight years old, he came into my study one day and he asked me a question. Dad, when I die, when I go to heaven, I paused a moment. I shared with him, certainly, son, you're squared away. You trust Jesus. You're surrounded by his love. He's got you in his grace. You're good. You're going to heaven. I went on back to working and he just stood there at the door thinking for a while. And then he said, Daddy, is that where I came from? Now, this was a startling question for me. I had to really think deeply about this one, push back from the desk. My mind began to run through all of the scriptures and theological stuff I had studied and learned and preached over the years. He was not asking me about the birds and the bees. He was asking about something deeper and something far more profound. Daddy, did I have life before I have life? Before, before this life, did I have life? Is heaven where I came from? And then the Lord reminded me of the words of Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4. Jeremiah is, is a 17-year-old that God is calling into ministry, prophetic ministry. And here, Jeremiah writes his own testimony about that experience of calling. Here's what Jeremiah says. He says, the Lord gave me this message. He said, God's declared, I knew you before. Somebody say before. I knew you before. I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I knew you and I had set you apart. I knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I knew you and had set you apart and had appointed you, given you purpose, given you a call. See that built-in purpose to be a prophet to the nation. And, and in the same way God says to every single one of you who are listening to me, I knew you before you were in your mother's womb. Be, be, before you knew anything about me, I had attached purpose to your life. To believe in God is to believe in life before life. Paul picks up the same notion. He says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 to 5, even before he, meaning God, made the world. God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault. See the word before, before, before he made the world. This decision was made. Chose us to be holy and without fault in, in, in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his, I love this passage, bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This was what he wanted to do and it brought him very much, so much pleasure. There's eternal purpose tied to your life, and it really explodes inside of a living relationship with Jesus. That's what he's saying. 
with the resurrected Jesus. Not, not, not someone who used to live, but someone who lives now. Walks with us through time all the way into eternity. Here's the second insight. The resurrection of Jesus. When we talk about the resurrection of Jesus, we're talking about life after death, guys. The resurrection of Jesus is, in fact, the cornerstone of the Christian faith. If, if, if the resurrection of Jesus did not happen, then nothing that we say ultimately matters. Here's how the Apostle Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Here's what he says. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. Just go ahead and live, eat, and enjoy, and die. But the reality is, Christ was raised. There are three levels of witnesses that I want to attain to that, that truth. I want to talk about for just a few moments about how we affirm that truth that we're dealing with a living Jesus. The first witness is really the witness of the early disciples. You see, the very next day, Jesus was crucified. And he was buried, crucified Friday evening, buried Friday, Friday, crucified Friday day, buried Friday evening. Saturday, the disciples were frightened. They were afraid. Sunday, they were frightened. They were afraid. They had heard something Sunday morning about something about him being raised and risen, but they didn't believe that. That's crazy. Then comes chapter 20, verse 19. We talked about this a little bit last weekend. Here's what the writer says. That Sunday evening... The disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the very folk who had crucified Jesus. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them, the resurrected one. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his, and in his side. They were filled with joy. They shouted. They praised, they glorified the Lord. That changed everything. History records this, that one moment there's a small band of, of defeated Jesus followers, and the next moment there's an explosion of people who are so bold and courageous that crucifixion couldn't stop them, being beheaded could not stop them, being fed to the lions in, in the Roman Colosseum games could not stop them, being burned at the stake could not stop them. As a matter of fact, the explosion, the boldness of these Jesus followers was such within the first 300 years, 30 to 40 percent of the Roman Empire was now Jesus followers. How do we account for these folk willing to, 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 to give their lives because they knew the resurrected Jesus. So is the witness of the early church. But then there's the witness of this fellow called the Apostle Paul who started off being named as Saul. He's first introduced in the book of Acts that chronicles the early development of the church. And at the end of chapter 8, the first martyr of the Christian church in the book of Acts is called Stephen. And, and he's being stoned to death. And the text tells us that Paul is standing there holding the garments of the people that stoning Stephen for professing his faith in Jesus. And Stephen is dying, declaring his faith in Jesus, asking Jesus to forgive the folk who are killing him. It's amazing. And the text says that as he's dying, he sees the heavens open up and he sees Jesus stand up. He sits on the right hand of God of the Father. Isn't that a marvelous image? That you live the kind of life that causes Jesus to stand up and give you, in a sense, a standing ovation. 
as the guy was dying. But Paul, who at the moment was called Saul, was holding these guys' garments and he was cheering them on. The text says he approved, he was happy. And then chapter 9 opens with these words describing this fellow named Saul that we will later know as Paul. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. Here's what Paul writes about his own life when he's writing a letter to the church uh, in Galatia. Here's what he describes in his own words. He says, for you have heard of my previous way of life and how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. And yet this fellow is the guy that will write the most of the New Testament. This fellow who was trying to destroy Jesus followers, becomes a Jesus follower, and ultimately will be so faithful that he will end up losing his head on Nero's chopping block for the cause of Jesus. What accounts for that shift in his life, moving from one who kills Christian to one who's willing to die as a Christian? Acts 9.5 gives us an incredible description. You know, it begins by talking about this amazing story where Paul gets uh, licensed, gets some letters that he can go to Damascus to arrest and kill Christians. And so on the road to Damascus, there's a light that shines around him, knocks him to his, his knees. And then this happens. Who are you, Lord? Paul says, knocked to his knees in the midst of the light. And the voice replies. I'm Jesus, when you're persecuted. And from that comes a charge that changes Paul's life. How marvelous. How marvelous. And then there's the witness of modern contemporaries, people who are seated right around you in the San Jose campus, right? Modern contemporaries, people who share this slice of history with us. Here's, here's a modern contemporary a fellow by the name of Colton Burpold. Uh, here's a picture of him when he was four years old and a current picture of him now. The reality of the story, uh, he's one of the, his father wrote a story about his life when he was four years old. He had an appendix that burst and he almost died. As a matter of fact, the story goes that he ended up finding himself in heaven in the very presence of Jesus. He would later describe how Jesus, he's four years old now. This is a four-year-old, five-year-old, four, five-year-old boy talking, how Jesus showed him his markings, what was in his hands, what was in his feet, what was in his side. He would later relay conversations that he had with loved ones that he met in heaven, conversations and details that he should not have known other than the fact that he talked to these individuals. The book that was written to chronicle his life is simply called Heaven is for Real. Mr. Colton is 24, 25 years old today, and he is a contemporary witness to the resurrected Jesus. Or Justin Bieber. Many of us love his music. He's a pop star. But Justin Bieber, a few years ago, shared how an encounter with Jesus radically changed his life, changed the reason for why he would wake up every morning, the reason for why he lives, the reason behind his his performance and his singing and his attempt to have an impact on this planet. An encounter with the resurrected Jesus. And then, of course, there's my own story, of course. At the end of the day, here I was, a college student uh, at the crossroads of either going to go to law school or or move towards earning a Ph.D. in philosophy. And 
God overtook me. I find myself praying for a week at Christmas at my school, Grammar State University. God, are you trying to call me into ministry? If so, you've got to make it super clear, Jesus. Many of you have heard the story about how at a gas station on my way to see my granduncle on Christmas, a fellow walked up to me and said, the Lord told me to tell you he's calling you to preach his word. Well, that wasn't sufficient enough for me. And so on New Year's Eve night, I went into prayer and ultimately fell asleep and was awakened three times. And guess who was talking to me? The very voice of Jesus. The first time he woke me, Acts 1-8, after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, will receive power to be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the world. That's what he said. Then he awakened me again to say, you shall speak of things that are not yet, and they shall come to pass. And then that whole uh, section in the last portion of the Gospel of Mark, she speak in tongues and so forth and so on. And then the third time he woke, he, he just he took the word and literally put it in my mouth. It was the, what the Pentecostal world calls speaking in tongues. I woke, woke up preaching in tongues. That was my encounter with the resurrected Jesus that literally changed the trajectory of my life. I'm here preaching to you today because Jesus lives. My life is all about proclaiming the fact that he's not dead. He lives. And because he lives, there's implications for your life and my life. If we would dare believe, there's life and death implications. Now, let's just talk about a few of these implications that flow from the fact that Jesus lives. Here's the first insight in this, in this context. Jesus' resurrection brings us an assurance. Here's the first assurance. This, this makes me, I, 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 I love this. The, it, it, it assures us something about death. Death. Listen, in this life, we don't get out of this life without dying. Even if you're miraculously cured of some sickness, some disease, at some point, we're all going to die. All the folk in the Bible died, including Jesus. But only one got up. That was Jesus. But the victory that Jesus secured promises us something about death itself. And here's the promise. You see, on earth, our lives have an expiration date. But the victorious, resurrected Jesus declares to us that death itself has an expiration date. You know, in Revelation, you will read these incredible words. Revelation 20, verse 14. Death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire, and the lake of fire is the second death. He's simply recording the death of death. Oh, my God. Can somebody say that's shallow material? That, that, that Jesus, the victor, guarantees the end of death itself. All of us who puts our trust in him. Somebody shout good news. <laughs> and then the resurrection of Jesus assures us of what I want to talk about, multiple levels of joy. On the other side of this life, when death has been wiped out. Here's the first thing it assures us. It assures us of the joy of new bodies. Notice what Paul writes in Philippians 3.21. And he really develops this throughout the New Testament. Here's what he says. He says, he, meaning Jesus, will take our weak mortal bodies. Think of people who are frail. Think of people who've lost their eyesight. Think of people who are watching me right now. You may have lost a limb or you're struggling with pain in your body. You're dealing with mental health challenges that are disrupting your life. Oh, my gosh, here is a great 
promise filled with joy that is tied directly to the resurrection of Jesus. He rose from the dead. Therefore, we believe in the resurrection of the body. Look at that. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own. Here's what the scripture tells us that when Jesus was raised from the dead, he had, this was not a, a, a disembodied experience. He's not a ghost. No, that Jesus was bodily resurrected, but his body was transformed. And he would eat with his disciples and drink with his disciples post-resurrection. What glorious news for us. I like what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? But thanks be to God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Can somebody shout victory? That's what the resurrection of Jesus spells. Victory. 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 Then the resurrection of Jesus promises the joy of an expanded understanding. So many of us are scratching our heads. We're going to do that campaign that I talked about in the midst of the fall, and we're going to wrestle with some of those tough questions. But it is the Apostle Paul that makes this promise, and it is tied directly to the resurrection of Jesus, is what he says. He says that there will come the day that all that I know now, you see, all that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then, when I'm standing in the presence of Jesus, then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. That will be the opportunity where we'll all come clear. I like C.S. Lewis used to say, he used to say that when I thought that when I got to heaven, I was going to ask God all these questions. But then C.S. Lewis says, one day I woke up with an awareness and a revelation that when I stand in the presence of Jesus, based on this inside of this text, Rather than asking questions, I'll just simply go, I see. I see. I understand now why, why you didn't move and act when I thought you should have moved and act. I see. I, I, I understand that, that you were moving when I wasn't even aware that you were at work in my life. I see. I see how my pain is somehow connected to your redemptive purposes in eternity. I see. So no, completely. The joy of expanded understanding. And then there is a joy of renewed relationships. You know, I love this passage, Hebrews chapter 12. You know, the writer of this passage says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses of the life of faith. And he's talking about these folk who have passed on from time to eternity. And he's using the imagery of a coliseum. And these people are sitting in the Colosseum and they're, they're, they're cheering us on. I just love this imagery. I love this imagery as I think about the folk who raised me that have on, slipped on in from time to eternity. And, you know, there's something fascinating over 30 years of pastoring people and being close, being at the death bed when people have been dying in the final stages of life for people. And, and you know, the testimony after testimony after testimony I've heard over the years as people are dying. In those latter days, you get the report. If you're in the room, you hear them. They start talking to people that you can't see in the room. (laughs) 
loved ones and family members who have passed on. The older people used to say that the veil that separates time and eternity is slowly being removed back. That notion of that great cloud of witnesses. This renewal of relationships. We used to sing about it back in Zion Chapel Baptist Church. We used to sing this song, which is the hope that is anchored by the resurrection of Jesus. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that would be. When we all see Jesus, we will sing and shout the victory. And then we used to sing another song, by and by, when the morning comes, all the saints of God are gathered together at home. We will tell the story of how we overcome all of the hardship, all of the challenges. Can you imagine? I can imagine. This is anchored to the hope of Jesus' resurrection, sitting down with the faithful and those uh, that have been redeemed and declaring to them, telling, swapping stories, catching people up on the journey, y'all. We'll understand it better by and by. And then finally, was anchored to the anchored in the resurrection of Jesus is the faith, new, the joy of new bodies, expanded understanding, renewed relationships. But then what I want to call the joy of an unimaginable adventure. You know, so often we talk as though what we're going to be doing through eternity is playing harps and singing in the choir and, and standing in a, in a single place just praising God 24-7 and that's it. Resting, sleeping, and that's it. But notice what Revelations 21 says, and I'm going to return to this in two weeks. It says this, Then I saw a new heaven. Can you say a new heaven? And a new earth. Can you say a new earth? This notion of a new beginning. That's what he's talking about, redeemed in a new beginning. He says, for the old heaven and the old earth has disappeared. Boy, make sure you're back here two weeks ago, two weeks from now when I close this series out. I'm coming back to this text. But right now, for this purpose, it's, he's talking about a new beginning, a beginning of a new and a, a redeemed eternal life, a new life of new adventures, new dreams, and a whole new season of living. And oh my goodness, you know, I want to close with this. One of the final songs that we used to sing. Oh, my gosh, which is why I labeled this blessed assurance, because that's what Jesus is giving us when he's talking to the disciples. He says, look, I'm going to prepare a place for you. But but I promise you that when the time is right, I'll come again and take you to be with me. Come on. At the point of our transition, somebody shout amen. Somebody shout praise the Lord. This is the assurance that he's offering to us, y'all. And there's a song that is that, that we used to sing. Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. And then it would say, this is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. And when it says that, I don't believe that he's really talking about me just kind of standing and singing in the choir and just praising my Savior all day long and all night, year after year after year. No, no, no. What he's saying is that the fact that I'm alive after death is a praise to the Savior. The fact that I have been rescued, come on now, from sickness and disease, come on, with eternal life is a praise to the Savior. The fact that I'm a part of God's redemptive work that continues into eternity is a praise to the Savior. 
There's one other song we used to sing. It used to say, in times like these, you need an anchor. In times like these, you need to be sure that your anchor holds to the solid rock. And the solid rock is Jesus. There is life after death. It's guaranteed by the resurrected one called Jesus. Many years ago, I asked a mentor of mine, Reverend Richard Brownlee. I said, hey, what happens to the folk who grow up and live in the deep, dark jungles of El Salvador and, or someplace like that, and backwoods of some Asian country, and they never heard of Jesus, and they die? What happens to them? Richard Brownlee said to me, he said, Herman, I, I can't really answer that question. He says, I only know what happens to people who die in Jesus, who die trusting Jesus. He says, but this I do know. He says, I trust that the Jesus that we die trusting is just and faithful and will do the right thing by all. My goodness. I think about this, this notion. And I think about, you know, John will later say about how Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And what he's simply saying is that the true Iune God is of such that one can't get into eternity without going through Jesus. And yet, here's a wonderful thing that we know that the blood that he shed on Calvary's cross is the work of atonement. And he gets to apply that blood to anybody he wants to. So I can't calculate how he's going to apply that blood. I'll just trust him. For folk who are outside of the context that I'm talking about. But here's the deal. <laughs> I don't want to die thinking and wondering and hoping and not sure what's going to happen to me. No, no. I want to die trusting Jesus. I remember I was talking to a, uh, a member of mine many, many years ago and she's a faithful leader in the church. And she, we were talking about death. She said, well, I hope I get in. I said, what do you mean do you hope you get in? And she was saying, simply kind of saying, well, you know, I'm not sure that I'm worthy of getting in. And he was, she was a Jesus follower. And I said, what do you mean? Are, are you, I had to reframe the question for her. I said, well, do you think you were worthy for Jesus to die for you? Because he did. And I, as I think about that, I remember that, that, that wonderful story about Jesus on the cross dying. And there was two thieves, one on each side. And one of the thieves recognized who he was. And he, this, this thief acknowledged that he had done all the wrong things. And he says, but, 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 but Lord, when you get into your kingdom, will you remember me? And Jesus looks in the midst of dying and says, this day you will be with me in paradise. In the, in the next few moments, they both were dead but they both were saved. Come on now. And when Jesus got up on the third day, that fellow was secure. Secured by Jesus' resurrection. You don't have to guess and think and hope. Just make sure your faith is anchored to the rock and that that rock is Jesus. And do it today. Because his resurrection connects us to our own resurrection and ultimate victory. And everybody said, amen, amen.